Hello, Grove, family, friends. It's great to, it's great to see you, and uh, it's great to be back together with you again. I hope you're well. As we get ready this morning, I want to encourage you to make sure you have some things for communion, uh, some, some liquid, uh, some water, some juice, and then a solid, a cracker, a cookie, a piece of bread. Make sure you have your notes and uh, grab something to write with. If you don't have those things, pause the video and, uh, and pick them up, get them printed off, and, and then come back and join us. So, so do you remember the minute you came to Jesus? Do you remember the minute it all clicked in your head that accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior was exactly what you needed to do? Do, do you remember the emotion of what it meant to be moving from being a child of wrath to be being an adopted son or daughter, an adopted child of the creator of the universe, the king of kings? Do, do you remember the joy of recognizing that your sins were wiped out, that God had forgiven them and, and then completely forgotten them, that your name was written in to the book of life, the lamb, the book of the lamb, that, that, that for the first time ever in your remembrance, you were completely right with God. You remember? And, and, and as you think back on it, th there was probably someone who was instrumental in helping lead you to Jesus. Who, who, who was that person in your personal life? Who, who, who was that person who loved you enough to take the risk of telling you the truth? And, and how did they get you interested? How did they get your attention? How did they help you to be thirsty to listen to the gospel story and accept Jesus for yourself? Did they live the kind of life that literally just made your head turn? Did, did they ask you a probing question? Were, were they just persistent? They just kind of kept at you. They just never gave up. Have you ever taken a moment to think about where your life would be if it wasn't for that person? what your life would look like, your marriage, your attitude, your character, your general well-being? And more, have you thought about what your eternity would look like if it wasn't for that person? The thought of hell, I mean, literally sends a shiver right up my spine. The, the picture that the Bible paints of that place is worse than awful. I, I, I cannot imagine being sentenced to that place forever, for all of eternity. Which, which means I'm not only thankful for Jesus who paid my debt so I wouldn't have to go there, I, I'm really also thankful for the person who led me to Jesus. And the Bible tells us that people who share the good news of Jesus are special. They, 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 have, in, they have heeded the, the commandment of Jesus to go. That's the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, 18 through 20. Right before Jesus left the earth, he gathered his followers and he said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go, go and make disciples. These are the people who have accepted that mantle, that responsibility, and have chosen to be obedient. And as a result, the Bible tells us they have beautiful feet. Writing in Romans chapter 10, Paul says, how, how can they call on the one they have not believed in. And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Now, Paul is quoting here from Isaiah chapter 52. 
And when we think of preaching, the average Christian, we, we think of the pastor up on Sunday morning on the, on the platform, in the pulpit, teaching the word of God. And immediately, people, the, the, the average Christian would, would cower back saying they could never do that. But the word preach simply means to be a herald, to deliver a message. And, 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 and the word evangelism means good news. Preaching is really nothing more than proclaiming the good news of Jesus. And there's no better news than the grace of Jesus. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2 that it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not, not by works so that no one should boast about it. God has called you to take that simple message of grace and love the grace and love of Jesus, and proclaim it to people in your life who are far from God. And when you do, it makes your feet beautiful. And it leads to an important truth. You're never more like Jesus than when you are going out of your way to help someone who is far from God draw close to him. And we know that's true because the gospels are filled with those kind of encounters, like the story we're looking at today, the story that comes out of John chapter four. So let's, let's dig in and, and let's do that by moving through the story. The story is really an unusual person. And, and when you think about it, it's maybe the most unusual of prospects, the most unusual of potential converts in coming to Jesus. Now, it seems like it's human nature to pigeonhole people. When I was graduating from high school, the seniors voted on the people in the class who were most likely to. Do you remember? The most likely to be famous, the most likely to be president, the most likely to make a million dollars, the most likely to be a professional athlete. The, the funny thing about that list, at least for my high school, was that it was hardly prophetic. I mean, it turned out to be mostly wrong. In fact, completely wrong. In fact, some of the most successful people in our class were honestly seen as people who were nobodies, like the losers. We, we had them pigeonholed, and we were wrong. And sadly, some of that pigeonholing includes painting labels onto people that they're never able to live down. You're a failure. You're useless. You're wicked. You're evil. You're, you're, you're hell-bent. If there was ever a person who had a wicked label pinned on her, it was the woman we come in contact with in John chapter four. She, she was a person who nobody would have ever voted most likely to be saved. The story begins with really a setup. And, and the setup is that Jesus was getting out of Dodge. And Dodge in that day would have been Jerusalem. In John chapter two, Jesus headed to Jerusalem for the Passover. Jerusalem was a place that Jews were required to go for major feast days. And as Jesus was beginning his ministry, he made the pilgrimage. And when he arrived, he quickly made his mark by cleansing the temple. Remember flipping tables? You've made my father's house into a den of thieves. And, and then he, he had that pointed discussion with Nicodemus in John 3, where that famous passage comes from, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And then at the end of John 3, we read that Jesus was down at the Jordan River. And John the Baptist, seeing Jesus, was deliberately pointing people to Jesus. And as a result, John's followers were now turning away from John and following Jesus. 
The, the, the situation caused some of John's kind of inner circle to, to take exception with John. And, and they came to him and they were saying, what, what are you doing? What are you going to do about all these people that are leaving and going over there? And John gave his powerful response. In John chapter 3, verse 30, he said, he, he must become greater, I must become less. The goal here is not for me to have a bigger following. I was only here ever to point people to Jesus. That was his role. He was, John the Baptist was the forerunner. His job was to prepare the way for Jesus, and he did his job really well. But then the increase in Jesus's ministry was beginning to be noticed by the Jewish leaders. Now, believe me, they took notice of any potential threat to their hold on the people of Israel, and, and that's where John picks up the narrative in chapter 4 of his gospel. John 4.1 says, The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gathering and baptizing more disciples than John, John the Baptist, although in fact it was not Jesus who, who baptized, but his disciples. And when, when the Lord, Jesus, when he learned of this, that he was being watched by the religious leaders, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, the religious leaders were already plotting about what they were going to do with this young upstart rabbi. They didn't like the tables being flipped over, and, and their anger would quickly move to literally wanting to kill him, to have him offed. But it wasn't Jesus' time to be put to death. There were still three years of ministry that were in front of him, so he had to get away from the firestorm. So he left Judea to make his way back to Galilee. And that brings us to the next part of the story, which was a divine appointment. There was a woman who was ready to meet Jesus. As Jesus began the 80-mile march north to Galilee, we learned something really interesting in John 4.4. The text says that he had to go through Samaria, which brings us to the map. Now, I showed this to you a couple of weeks ago. I want to put it back in front of you. Jesus lived up north in Galilee, he, he was from the town of Nazareth. Jerusalem and the temple were down south. So Galilee is the circle up north. Uh, Jerusalem, Judea is the circle down south. The temple was in Jerusalem. And sandwiched in between these two territories was Samaria. And, and here's the deal. Whenever a Jew was traveling from Galilee to Judea or from Judea to Galilee, they, they, they always skirted Samaria. They would always literally go around it. No right-minded Jew ever walked through Samaria. It was completely avoided. Now, it raises the question, why? And the, the reason is because Samaria was a territory of half-breed Jews. When the Assyrian king destroyed the northern kingdom of Israel... He carried off all the educated, rich, and powerful people. Anyone who was useful was, was moved to Assyria. You, you can read all about that in, in 2 Kings chapter 17 in the Old Testament. But there were a large group that the Assyrian king left behind. That, that, that would have been the sick, the poor, the uneducated, the elderly, the needy. In other words, everyone who had a potential value the Assyrian king took back to Assyria, and everyone he felt had no value, he left behind. But then the king of Assyria took one more step. He moved Assyrians from Assyria into Israel. And those transplants in Israel intermarried 
with the people that were left behind, which made a mixed race of people, half-breeds, not true Jews, Samaritans. And these people were absolutely hated and despised by those who consider themselves true Jews. They were so hated that the Jews would completely avoid any contact with Samaria. They didn't even want the dust of Samaria on their sandals, so they would walk 30 miles out of their way to get from Nazareth down to Judea or vice versa. But not Jesus. The text says that Jesus had to go through Samaria. Now, imagine the disciples' chagrin as they marched towards the border of, of the territory called Samaria. And, and Jesus didn't stop and, and go east to go around. He just literally stepped right over the boundary line. Why? Because there was an important appointment on Jesus's calendar. And that's where the story takes us. About 15 miles into Samaria, Jesus and the disciples came to a town called Sychar. Now, it's a place with a huge historical relevance. This goes all the way back to the patriarchs of of Genesis. There's a plot of ground there that Jacob, the grandson of Abraham, gave to his son Joseph. And on that piece of land, there was a well. It was called Jacob's Well. Jesus and the disciples marched into Samaria, and, and, and they came to the well. They had to be tired. They marched about 30 miles on this day. And verse 8 tells us that Jesus sent the disciples into town to buy food, which I'm sure they were completely unhappy about, not only touching the dust of Samaria, but now coming in contact with Samaritans. Jesus himself stayed behind at the well, and he sat down near the well. And that's when a woman showed up to draw water for the day. Now, what I want you to notice here are the things that are not written in the text. In other words, I want you to read between the lines. Verse 6, John 4, verse 6 tells us that first it was the sixth hour, meaning it's one in the afternoon. If sunrise was at seven in the morning, then six hours later would be the sixth hour. That'd be one o'clock, just past noon. It would have been in the heat of the afternoon. Women didn't do this job in the afternoon. The drawing of the water was an early morning chore. And the second thing I want you to notice is when the woman came to the well, she was, she's alone, all alone. Drawing water was a difficult job. Think of a two or three gallon bucket. And don't think of a plastic bucket that has no weight. Think of, think of a wooden bucket or a ceramic a ceramic bucket, Uh, and and then think of that two or three gallon thing filled with water. I mean, it would have weighed between 15 and 30 pounds. It would have been a lot of work to to drop that thing in and then to be hauling all of that weight up uh, to get it out of the well. And, and, And the women in the village would gather together to do this first thing in the morning. They worked together. It would, have, it would have been a time to, to talk and share some idle gossip, a, a, mo- a moment to help each other drag that rope, you know, up, you know, what, 30, 40 feet from the bottom of the well. It would have been a little reprieve from a day that was going to be filled with hard work. But this woman is all alone in the middle of the day. Why? Well, we find out later in the story exactly why. Jesus confronted her with the truth. And the truth was, when he told her to go get her husband, she said, I'm not, I'm not married. 
And that's when Jesus zinged her. In John 4, 17, Jesus said, you're right when you say you, you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you live with now is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. It is right here that all the pieces start to get put together into the puzzle. This, this woman was not with all the other women because she was hated. The best case scenario, she was a loose woman, a woman who had no qualms about being sexually active outside of her marriage. Worst case scenario, she had carried on affairs with some of the husbands of the women in the village. She was a homewrecker. She's at the well all alone to do the work all alone because nobody is going to have anything to do with her. She was completely shunned. And in light of that, I want you to think about the social barriers that Jesus is stepping over here to come in contact with this woman. First, there's the issue of race. This woman's a Samaritan. While all the other Jews shunned the Samaritans, Jesus didn't even blink. He just simply marched right into Samaria. He wasn't concerned with 700 years of negative history. His whole mindset was on the big picture. And, and what was the big picture? The salvation of the world. Jesus didn't see race. He saw people. And his heart bent for everyone, Samaritan, Jew, Gentile, every person who was far from God, Jesus' heart bent for them. And then think of the gender issue, this gender barrier talking to a woman. The, the Jewish male prayed every day, Lord, thank you that you did not make me a Samaritan, a dog, or a woman. Now think about that. Women in the first century, a Jewish mindset were worth the value of a dog. And for that reason, a Jewish male wouldn't even acknowledge a woman in public. And to that, you have to add one more barrier that was, that was weighing in here. And that, that would be the moral barrier, a woman lacking any integrity. This woman wasn't a prostitute. We don't get that picture here at all. She wasn't selling herself to males, but I'm not sure she wouldn't have been even more hated because of what she was doing. She was seen as a hussy, a brazen adulteress. Even being in her presence could, could get all the town gossips' tongues wagging I'm sure, I'm sure there was a telephone tree in Sychar devoted to the task of reporting the movements and the actions and the associations of this woman. The, the women of the town would have been watching each and other's backs for this whore. And yet, in spite of all of the walls that had been built around this woman, God set up an appointment with her. He knew her name. He knew where she would be. He knew what she needed. And Jesus made his way straight to her to help meet her need. And that brings us to this third thought, the reason behind the divine appointment. Jesus was going to offer her an invitation. And the invitation was for living water. 
Jesus was sitting near the well, the woman showed up. I'm sure she drew near and saw this Jewish man sitting there. It had to catch her off guard. I mean, she's probably thinking, what in the world is he doing here? And then Jesus spoke, spoke to her. He broke every social norm. He asked her for a drink. And her, her response was exactly what you would expect. In John chapter 4, verse 9, she, she said, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan. Woman, how can you ask me for a drink? The woman was completely baffled by Jesus. And as her mind is spinning, probably a thousand miles an hour, to try to figure this whole thing out, Jesus turned the table. Jesus, Jesus answered her in verse 10. He said, If you knew the gift of God... And who it is that asks you for a drink, you you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Again, think about this. First, there's this Jewish male talking to the Samaritan female. And now it sounds like Jesus is offering to work for her. Like he's going to draw water out of the well for her. Now, now, Now she's gone beyond baffled. She's completely stunned. She wants to know how Jesus is going to draw water. First, the well's deep. And second, he has no cup or bucket, to which Jesus responds in verse 13. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up in eternal life. What Jesus was doing here was opening up the the door of salvation, but the woman missed all of it. She's still thinking in the flesh, literal water. And the thought that she might never be thirsty again, never have to come back to this well again, never have to draw one more bucket up again, never again have to be reminded about how lonely she really is. I mean, that's something that she wanted. It sounded, it just really sounded too good to be true. So she responds. She said, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And that's when Jesus confronted her with her sin. Now, we'll we'll talk about the water, Jesus said, when you go get your husband and bring him back here. She she had to admit that she didn't have a husband. And like we talked a few moments earlier, uh, that's when Jesus laid it all out. I know who you are. I know what you're about. He, 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 he knew the whole ugly story of her life. Her response, verse 19, Sir, I, 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 I can see, I perceive that you're a prophet. A man who doesn't know her from Adam, but can read her mind like a book, no kidding. He has to be a prophet. But Jesus was, was more than just a prophet. This is God. This is God in her presence inviting her into his kingdom. I want want to make sure you hear this. I want to make sure you just don't skim this over really quickly. Most of us have some kind of thought about who is worthy of God's kingdom. And the truth is, most of us have a feeling that it's not us. Deep down inside, we know who we are. We, We know what we've done. We know where we've been. We know what we've seen, handled, thought. And we, ne- we, 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 we reason that God could never love us. But here is God stepping right over all the perceived barriers and the invitation was for this woman to join the family, drink the living water. Uh, but the woman's embarrassed. With, with her life being laid out, 
It's like she doesn't want to go there. So she's, she's trying to change the subject. She opened up a theological question. There was really a debate that was raging through, through the Samaritans and the Jews at this time. And she, her question is, is it Gerizim or is it Jerusalem? Should we go to Mount Gerizim? Is, is Mount Gerizim in Samaria the place of worship or is it Jerusalem in the temple? Is that, is that the place of worship? Now, Jesus completely just sidesteps the question. If she's, if she's trying to divert the conversation. It, Jesus brings it right back to, to where it needs to be. And that's where he takes her next, to the truth. Jesus declared in, in John 4, 21, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain, Gerizim, nor in Jerusalem at the temple. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. The Messiah is coming from the Jews, yet a time is coming and now has come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they're the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. Now, friends, a lot of people read this passage and they get confused. And let me just encourage you to not make it any more difficult than it, than it really is. The, the bottom line is that God has never been concerned with an outward form of worship, like a place or a posture. What God desires are hearts that truly love him. The call is to worship God in spirit, in truth. God wants your inner spirit bent to him. And, and then he wants you to add that to the truth of his word and follow him. Now, I, I want to make sure you get this. Because true worship is being defined right here. You, you, you don't worship God by, by flapping your lips at him. God, God is not interested in what your mouth says. Your worship of him is all about bending your heart to him. God wants you to know that your heart is for him. God, God wants you to truly love him. He wants you to love him with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. And make sure you notice it has nothing to do with your race or your gender or the righteous quality of your life. When, when we come to God, we come a mess. Forget the woman at the well, forget her. My life is a broken mess that's in need of radical cleansing. I'm a commandment breaker and I need help. And, and my question is, am I alone here? And, and I, I think the answer is not. Forget trying to compare yourself to everybody else around you. What the gospel encourages you to do is just look in the mirror and see the truth. Own up to the reality of how far you have taken your life away from God. And what God wants to do with you today is lead you to living water. He wants to offer you a gift that will set you free. And the way to accept it is by offering him your heart. With everything laid out, this poor unsuspecting woman tried one more time to change the subject. It comes at us in John chapter four, verse 25. The woman said, I, I, I know that Messiah called Christ 
Messiah would be the Hebrew, Christ would be the Greek. I know that this one is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And that's when Jesus completely zinged her. You, you want the Messiah? <laughs> here, here, ma'am, open up your eyes. Jesus declared in verse 26, I who speak to you am he. Now again, I, I, I want you to hear this and think about it. This is the first time, really, that Jesus has openly declared exactly who he is. And it was to a woman that everybody would have placed at the absolute bottom of the pecking order. That everybody would have said she is completely not worthy. A woman, Samaritan, hussy. Everybody would have said that, but Jesus. Because for Jesus, there is no subclass of people. There are only people. And God loves all people. Jesus saw her for who she really was, a person, a soul, a woman that was filled with pain and regret. And he had come to help her with all of that, to love her, to die for her. And he went out of his way to tell her. Jesus simply rejected all the classifications that get put out on people. And he marched straight into Samaria to tell this woman that he loved her. And it brings us right to the response. And that would be life change and revival. I think probably for the first time in her life, this woman understood that she had the ability to be clean and free. And with that thought fresh in her head, she went running back into town to proclaim the incredible news. To all the people who had shunned her, she went running. John 4, 29, she's, she's banging on doors saying, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Is this the Messiah? Now, it's, it's, it's amazing how fast the rest of the Samaritans responded. The Messiah here in Samaria? You gotta be kidding me. I mean, the people of the town dropped everything and ran back to Jesus. And, and the result, well, it was, it was revival. John chapter four, verse 39 says, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. And so when the Samaritans came to him, to Jesus, they urged him to stay with him and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. Now, <laughs> I got to tell you, I, I love this. Jesus didn't just say, hey, can I, have a, can I have a glass of water? And then he was, you know, praying for them and on his way. No, no, he spent two whole days in this little village. And, and, and I'm sure the Samaritans from all the other villages that were making this journey into Sychar to join in this party with the Messiah. And many became believers. And if that's not enough, Look at the testimony that came out of them. John 4, 42, they, they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we, now we have heard for ourselves and we know, we know that this man really is the savior of the world. I mean, there it is, all the dots connected and by Samaritans to boot. Now they've taken the next step. Messiah, sure, but he's more. He's our savior. And it leads to a point of application. And really, friends, it's an invitation. It's an invitation to become an evangelist. 
God is calling you to stand up and speak to become the person who's gonna take the good news. God's heart is that every person becomes a Christian. God wants all people to be saved. And for that to happen, the world needs to hear the message, which means we need to get the message out. And for that to happen, someone has to go. They gotta follow the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 18, they they gotta get up, they gotta go. And, And God's intention is to use you for that purpose. You are an evangelist. You are a herald of good news. God wants you to have beautiful feet. So it raises the question, how do I do that? How do I become an evangelist? And I just want to suggest to you a couple of really simple steps. And the first step to becoming an evangelist is to claim your personal testimony. Here's the truth, friends. God, God has worked in your life. He has moved you from death to life. He took you when you were broken and he performed a miracle in you. He washed you clean and he made you brand new. Being an effective evangelist begins right here with your story, your testimony. And the testimony is really simple. It's, I was this, and now I'm that. I was this, I was a mess, I was lost, I I I was coated with crud, and Jesus came and washed me, and he made me white as snow. I'm clean. God intervened. He made me move from that to this. You have a testimony. Just like the woman at the well in Sychar 2,000 years ago. And your story needs to be heard. There are people who are suffering with whatever Jesus moved in your life to overcome. You might have had an addiction. You might, you might have been selfish. You might have been angry or hateful. It, your brokenness, your, it, you, you, you hurt people. You abused people. You hurt yourself. You, you, you thought you were damaged goods beyond repair. And, and then came Jesus. God healed you. And that story needs to be told. Some friends, you need to claim your story. You need to tell your story. There are people around you who need to hear it. And and then you take a second step. You add your your testimony, knowledge of God, a deep knowledge of God. 2 Timothy 2 says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, one who correctly handles the word of truth, one who takes the Bible, knows it, and lives by it. Your story is grounded in the truth of God's word. You read, study, memorize, and meditate on the word of God. And that gives you the ability to then lead or direct people into truth. Your testimony is that God performed a miracle in you. I was this And he made me that. I was lost and now I'm found. Your testimony is then enhanced by being being able to help people, to guide people into the truth. This is who God is. This is how God works. This is what God does. This is what he wants to do with you. When you grow deeply in God's word, you suddenly find yourself being able to show people the truth, show people the way. You make yourself a useful useful vessel for the kingdom of God by, by... claiming your testimony, and then tying that to the truth of God's word, then you take a third step. You live daily with your eyes open to every opportunity. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 puts it like this. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. All around you are people who need to hear. They, they need to hear your testimony. 
They, they need to hear your testimony connected to the truth of God's word. And when you're walking with God, you determine to live every minute of every day looking for an opportunity to share that message. And when you, when, when you have your eyes wide open to seeing the opportunities to share, here, here's what I'm gonna promise you. You'll be shocked at how often opportunities present themselves. Every day of Jesus's life, he came in contact with people who needed to hear. They needed to hear his testimony. They needed to hear the truth. They, they, they needed to know how to live. And he lived for the purpose of helping them know how to live. And that's what God wants you doing. Living for the purpose of reaching other people for Jesus. Waking up every day, walking out the front door of your house and moving on purpose. I am here today to share Jesus. Lord, open up my eyes and help me see. I'm just telling you, wham, you pray that prayer, it's gonna happen. And let me encourage you to add a fourth thought here. And that'd be trust in God. Trust that God will always give you the right words to say. When Jesus was sending out his disciples, he said to them in, in Mark chapter 13, whenever you are arrested, that's a, that's a great thought. I'm gonna be arrested for Jesus. Yeah, when you're arrested and brought to trial, don't, don't worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given you at the time, for it is not you speaking, it will be the Holy Spirit. The, the, the number one reason people don't share Jesus, they're afraid to share Jesus, is because they think they'll blow it. They, 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 I'm gonna get into a situation where I won't know what to say, or I'm gonna say the wrong thing. You, here, listen, friends, you, you don't have to worry. When you are walking with God and taking in his word, the Holy Spirit then has workable material. He has you, he has your heart, and he has the knowledge that you've put in your head from the truth of his word. Now, I'm just telling you, I could tell you personal story after personal story here where, where I was in a situation where I was being asked a question and a passage of scripture that I may have memorized 20 years earlier or a section of scripture that I had studied through just pops into my head and I, and I, and I can take somebody to that place because the Holy Spirit is working. He is leading. He takes what I have stored up and he uses it. And because of that, because of that, you can step out in faith. You can step out trusting that you're gonna be able to do the things that God has called you to do. Now, I'm not telling anybody anything here. We are living in troubled times. People are afraid. People are wondering if there's any hope. People are wondering if their lives will ever be normal again. You may think that nobody's interested in hearing about Jesus in troubled times. And if you think that, you would be wrong. The gospel thrives in times of trouble. Why? Because when people are hurting, that's when they're seeking answers. Jesus walked into the life of maybe the most needy woman in Samaria. The result? Change for her, change for her village, change for Samaritans everywhere. And that's the ministry of Jesus. He kept himself unwavering to the ministry that God put before him. And friends, I'm telling you, we need to do the exact same thing. There are people all around you who need you to speak up, eyes wide open. My encouragement is for you to commit to spiritual pedicures. Allow God to move you to have beautiful feet. Who are you praying for? Who are you sharing with? 
What doors of opportunity is the Lord pushing open for you right now? Bow your heads. And Father, I just pray that you'll help us. Help us to trust that the word is true. Father, it's an amazing thing that we as sinful, broken people, people who are in our, our, our own minds are not worthy or not capable or not able are lifted up by you to make a difference. Father, I look back at the disciples, uneducated men, guys that in so many ways when Jesus was present with them were scared and blowing it, and yet you took those simple men and they literally turned the world upside down. And Father, I know you want to do the same thing today with us, simple people, broken people who have been healed by you. Father, we give you praise today because of your work in our lives. We're grateful for the promises that you've laid into us. And now, Father, we just ask that you will help us to trust that the testimony of our lives mixed with the truth of your word is something that people need to hear. Father, give us beautiful feet because we're willing to trust you to go and speak to the people that we know and the people that we love about the incredible message that you made us right, you made us clean. You wrote our names into your book and that you want to do that with all the other people in our lives. Father, help us to share it. Help us to give that grace as it was freely given to us. And we lift it in the name of Jesus, the only one who makes it possible. And God's people said, amen. Now, friends, we come right now to a moment of communion. And every week when we gather in our church, we, we come to this place. And, 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 and we come to it because it is a celebration. It's, it's a reminder. It's a reminder that we celebrate all that God has done for us. And so I want to encourage you to take those emblems and remember that his body was broken and his blood was shed for you. He, he, he did this for you. Take this in remembrance of that act on Calvary 2,000 years ago and give him praise today because he moved into your life and he made you new. He made you right. He made you his child. He adopted you in. You have a reason to rejoice today. And that message of his grace and love and the message of his incredible work in your life, your cleansing needs to be told. As you take the emblems, not only should you be giving thanks to God, you should be committing to being his mouthpiece in your little corner of the world. So as you take them, say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for what you've done. And now I commit to speak. I will be a herald of your good news. Who are the people that you know need to hear it? Put their faces into your mind right now and say, God, as you have poured your grace onto me, I want to give that to these people. Help me. Open up doors of opportunity. So, Father, we do. We stop. We pause. We praise you for your work. We're grateful. Now, Father, our prayer is that you will Help us to take the step of being faithful to your call 
to give what has so been freely given to us. Thank you for the people who shared with us. Thank you for the people who have led us. And now, Father, may we do the same thing with others. It's our prayer, and we lift it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, friends, as we get ready to, to leave, apart from each other, a um, couple of announcements. Number one, we're opening up. Next week, June 7th, we will be back together. There's a document on our website that explains what we are doing and how we're handling the cleaning of our building and securing all of our safety and security here in this building. So we want to encourage you, go to our website, get, get that document. If you have a problem getting it through our website, give us a call at the church or email us. We'll, we'll email it to you so you can have it that way. If you have any questions after, the, after reading the document, then be sure to give the church a call or drop us an email. And for those who are needing to continue to stay home for a season, maybe, maybe you're kind of one of those people who are a little bit more vulnerable or a little bit unsure of where we are, you know, we are going to continue to put our messages on the website. There will continue to be a video. It will be a little bit different. Right now we're recording midweek and then putting it, getting it edited for our website on, on Saturday night. As we move to this new new. Uh, opening, we will be recording on Sunday morning. And so then it will be edited. Our goal is to get it up on Sunday night, but it may be up by Monday afternoon, Monday at, at, at the very latest. So that's what we're asking. We're, 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 we're kind of working on a small staff to get this done. And so we just, we just pray for your grace as, as, we, as, we, as we move ahead. So we'll look forward to seeing you on the 7th. If we can't, we'll see you through video either that evening or the next day and or through, through the week. Giving, we, we want to thank all of you, all, really all of you who have been faithful in supporting the church through this really difficult time, these, these last three months. We want to encourage you to continue to do that. And again, we, we know that these have been stressful times. We know that many of you have, have suffered through either losing a job or being cut in your job or not being sure about your job. So uh, we, we, we understand that. So we do want to help you, to, to encourage you to help us to, 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 be, to be faithful. You can, you can give through bill pay at your bank or through the church website, or you just can send a good old fashion check. You can put it in the mail or you can even drop it by the church here. Uh, any, any of that will be great. Summer activities, there, there is much being planned. You're gonna hear a lot more about that on June 7th as we open up. And uh, we're looking forward to some really great fellowship moments with our children, our students, and even some all-church things. So we'll, we'll be getting those, those, those dates and those times and, and the events that will be taking place to you. So that, that's coming very quickly. We're opening in stages. When you get here this week, it'll, be just, it'll just be the A part of our building. So come, enjoy with us. We'll see you at our normal time, 10.30. And uh, we'll, we'll be here with, with bells on, ready to have a full worship service to sing, to praise, to pray, to, to, to glory in God's word, to take communion, to, to give our offerings. So be praying. Be praying for us as leaders. Be praying for our church as we take this next step. Our prayers continue for you. And right now I'm just praying that you have a great week. Uh, God bless. I'll see you soon.